You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. And me, Reverend Terry Menevigal. I just want to welcome everyone back. This is a little bit of bonus material. Bonus material. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> We've been racking our brains on what to give uh, uh, folks, particularly our donors, for whom we're very grateful. Yes. Um, uh, people you guys who are deserve on, something uh, a little extra. Yeah, people who are uh, giving money through um, Patreon, as well as <laughs> folks who are donating to our cause through PayPal. Yeah, through PayPal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are very grateful for them. And so we've been racking our brains on what to do for bonus material. So this is a bit of bonus material that our uh, donors are getting a little bit earlier than everybody else. Yeah, we're going to release this a week or two before everybody else gets it. So you guys get a chance to hear this. And yeah. So back in the summer, we got an, a message from this woman named Deb Ford out in... Quad Cities, which is in between Iowa. It's four cities in between Iowa and Illinois. And so she was in Davenport, Iowa, and she said she has this convention, this gathering of all outlander folks in the central United States. And apparently it's the largest gathering. She Mm -hmm. listens to our podcast, Our Little Outlander Mm -hmm. Soul, and she invited us to come. Mm. Yeah. And that's so cool. Yeah, that's great to be invited for that something like that. That'd be amazing. You know, first immediately I went, oh, God, is this legit? What the heck is going on here? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm always kind of cynical about this type of stuff. But I look her up and I look up the people that she's had. The first year she had Diana Gabaldon at the conference. Oh, well, she, okay. Yeah. She also had Graham McTavish at the conference as well. And it was like the first fan-based thing he had ever done. And now he just like goes everywhere. He does them all. Um, yes. She had the gentleman who played Rupert at one of her Grant conferences. O'Rourke. Grant yep. O'Rourke. I love yeah, Grant him. O'Rourke. Yep. He's so funny on Twitter if you don't follow him. But yeah, anyway. And she had Terry Dresback as well for her mm-hmm. for the second one. And and then this year she was having Ron Moore and Terry Dresback as, uh, again. And I was like, oh my God, I have to go. This mm-hmm. sounds amazing. And it is the largest <laughs> one in the central United States. And so... Jamie has already blown her entire budget for coming to the United States. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've not really blown my budget just yet, but I did for this, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so since Terry was on the same continent, it, it, we, we designated that she be the one to, <laughs> she be the one to go to this thing. But yeah. And so this this little bonus material thing is about my experience there and mm-hmm. what a great time I had. The thing that actually hooked me was being able to do a press conference with Ron Moore and Terry Dressback. And I'll, I'll get to that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about just the whole conference in general and mm-hmm. what an amazing job Deb did for it. She just... So it happens every two years, and the first one happened in 2014. Right, so 2014, 2016, now 2018. Yes, and so for those of you listening, mark it on your calendars. The next one Mm. is in December 2020. 20. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So please make, mark it on your calendars, particularly if you're in central, central United States. A lot of people drove. Some people drove from Nebraska. Some people drove from Kansas. It was just, it was, it was amazing. And then we, there were several of us who came in from other parts of the country who were pressed. Folks from Outlander Behind the Scenes were there. There was somebody who does an Outlander podcast out in New Jersey. It was great. It was just it was great. All of them are themed. The first mm. year was Outlander. The second one was Dragonfly and Amber. So this year's theme was Voyager. Voyager. Yeah. Mm. So next one will be Drums of Autumn, I assume. Yeah. And I actually am kind of looking forward to perhaps going again in a couple of years because mm. Drums of Autumn is my favorite of the books. And, oh, um, really? Yeah, it really kind of is. I love Drums huh. of Autumn. And that's why I'm kind of enjoying the season. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we talked about that in the podcast, actually, that the, that the later books are my favorite as well, yeah. but not I like Drums of Autumn better than the first three, but it's not my favorite. So Breath of Snow and Ashes is probably up there with them, so that, I, it's probably a toss-up between the two. My two favorites, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. But anyway. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the convention. So, yeah, um, definitely. In the summer... Jamie and I were at the Wild Goose Festival, Mm -hmm. and Jamie presented a paper there, and we did a podcast on site. We talked about narrative as sacred text, like Harry Potter as sacred text and other books that we hold dear in sacred text. Let me Mm -hmm. just say that this entire convention was about Mm -hmm. Outlander as sacred text. As sacred text, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I have no doubt. Yeah, everything we did surrounded it. People walked around with the books in their hands as if Mm -hmm. they were sacred uh, <laughs> just like bible convention <laughs> it was very much like that so uh, all the vendors that were there everything was focused on outlander everything was focused on 18th century craftsmanship so there were there were a couple of tables that were like pewter or a silversmith one group were reenactors and so they made leather pouches and soaps and mm. it was just really really cool some of the things that folks and then there were a couple of tables that were hey you want to go to Scotland and so there were you know tour groups that were there as well but everything was about you know so like traveling to the sacred land was anybody wool walking while they were during the thing wool walking no nobody was wool walking but there was felting that was one of the classes that you could take I'll I'll get into the wool walking in a second (laughs) which was kind of interesting um I'm but sure it would have been begin- a little smelly. Oh, yeah. So it was started. It was two full days. You had a full mm-hmm. day of festivities and classes and things before the evening. And that dinner on Friday night was kind of the call to it. And it begins with the bagpipes. They brought in mm. kind of the Scottish group for Iowa or Illinois. Right. And, and they came in with the drums and the bagpipes. So a bit kind of like the intro to a gathering as described in the books. It was like a call to worship. Yeah. It was it, yeah. it was amazing. Invocation. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody stopped what they were doing. We now mm-hmm. knew it was time to focus. And then we opened with a few words of welcome. Mm-hmm. And then all the lights went down and the sky boat song comes on. Right. Everybody sings it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah and they hold and they light up their phones and start waving them like <laughs> like lighters it was great <laughs> but it was it was total worship moment it really yeah. kind of was yeah it was it yeah. was a moment where the community now made this space sacred for their sacred gathering mm-hmm 
I remember um, people talking about particular concerts feeling like worship experiences. So yes. Like, oh, yeah. During seminary, we went to see U2 a couple times. And, oh, yeah. And it, it was very much like that. Um, so, yeah, I church outside of church is, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all, actually. Well, I mean, so it's, it's gathering of the best of things, people who have the best of intentions gather around this singular story. Something they love, something that they are all dedicated to that brings us all together. Yeah. Absolutely. So we had music, we had dim lights, we had pseudo candles, Mm -hmm. we had, and then there were readings Mm -hmm. from the book. And then there was this celebration of the community. So Terry Dresbach was there and she and Ron showed up and they were holding hands. They were so cute. Aww. They are this couple. was Terry's retirement party. We all toasted to her. Mm-hmm. She made a little speech. And many of these folks have known, have been going to the same thing together for the last, this is their third one together. So they've yeah. known each other for a long, this is where they meet. This is where they gather. Yeah. And they're fairly intense experiences, I think, as well. Yeah. So yeah. you do and form fairly, yeah, fairly quick relationships with people, I think. I have to say the majority of the folks were my age and older, and the vast majority of them were women. There were about 400 folks there. Oh, wow. Okay. I wasn't aware of the number. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it was about 400 people, and I would say maybe 20 of them were men. And the rest were women. Wow. Most of the women that I ran into were retired. So they were older and could get away for a couple of days. Most of the men, I would say 19 of the 20 men, were attached to one of the females that were there. (laughs) Right. Well, that one single guy. (laughs) There was the one single guy who was in his kilt, kind of looking at all the women who Uh (laughs) were trying to spot the one lonely one. (laughs) That was a little creepy. But easy pickings, maybe he thought. Gosh, how funny! The the men who were with their wives or significant others dressed with them, danced with them, Mm -hmm. enjoyed it with them. Uh, Most of them have seen the show at least and Mm -hmm. loved the story as well. And it was it was really kind of a great validation for them to have their husbands there with them. Um, Yeah, of course, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Just some of the cool things that you can expect if you are going to this thing in two years or if you were there and you can sit back and reminisce about mm-hmm. amazing goodie bags, by the way. She just like found all kinds of really cool things, local things that somebody coming in from out of town would not know about. The trivia contest was the big deal. Outlander trivia, obviously. Yes. And it was right. eight okay. rounds of 10 questions. So it was 80 questions. And how it, difficult was it? Oh, it, it ranged from... Pretty, fairly easy. Fairly easy if you know the story and if you read the books a couple of times. To really, really difficult. It was a lot like Jeopardy. So you would get the two hundred dollar questions versus the six hundred dollar, eight hundred dollar questions. Oh, right. Okay. And by the end, by the time you get to round eight, they're the eight hundred dollar questions, and they are very difficult. One one of the categories was saints preserve us. And because it was the religious category, everybody at my table kept looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. And how did you do? Like... Did you show us up? No, I didn't. I totally oh, really no. messed up. 
because it was oh, okay no. so I wasn't raised Catholic I don't know a whole lot about the saints oh. I was able to answer one question about Saint Paul because right. he's biblical but I was raised in the evangelical tradition and they kept looking at me like you're the Bible Fair person I'm like but the saints aren't in the Bible Fair they're yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, but I did get one right for them. One of the questions that we found very difficult was, you know, mm. who was the patron saint of your eyes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I Claire Claire talking about that. Yeah, Claire was praying to the patron saint of eyes in one of the later books for somebody who was having difficulty with, with their, their eyes. Yeah. And guess who it is? It's Saint Claire. You'd think I'd remember <laughs> that. <laughs> See, I, I wouldn't have gotten that either. So. No, uh, no, no, no. So, oh, well. But anyway, our group was the Platitudes and... <laughs> the Plaid, P-L-A-I-D? Yes. Platitudes? Platitudes. As opposed to Platitudes. Yes. Right. Platitudes. That's clever. I will post all of the pictures of these on our Facebook page and some on our um, Instagram page Mm -hmm. so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. We had a wonderful (laughs) centerpiece and the ladies and the two gentlemen who were on our team were fantastic. Oh, actually, we didn't have two gentlemen on our team. They weren't allowed. It was just the ladies who were on our team. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they, they hadn't signed up for that team and we already had seven members. So there were, I think, 49 teams. This is how many people were there, right? 49 teams of seven. Yeah, and seven. So, And then there were extras who weren't allowed on the team because they had not signed up for a team. So you couldn't have any more than seven. And we came in seventh. Oh, wow. Okay. Despite not knowing the Saints, we were – you did all right. Yeah, we did great. Very good. And it was mostly due to Sandy. And, and Helen, uh, they they knew the story so much better than the rest of us, and they studied so much harder than the rest of us. And so right. give it up for Sandy and Helen of the Platitudes. They rocked. Right. Well done. Well, yeah. there are people out there. I mean, even Diana talks about that she asks the fandom about things because there are people out there who know the story even seems like better than she does. And folks who have written, you know, fan wiki pages like if i never need to look up a character i go online and look that up to find out exactly what happened with that person so and i think that might be why she wrote the outlandish companion because we need stuff like Mm -hmm. that right yeah yeah. the outlandish companion really does help us whenever we're dissecting things like you know in the last episode that we did the last Mm -hmm. podcast we did on the bible verses that are in there we would love to have a concordance of (laughs) (laughs) of outlander it would be I'm very guessing helpful. someone has done that somewhere out there. I I would not be at all surprised. But yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. So anyway, the vendors were fantastic. The trivia contest mm-hmm. was amazing. The two classes, there were a bunch of classes that were offered. Things like mushrooms. Like how to pick them? Or yeah, what, how, which ones what will kill you are, and which ones you can eat? Yes, right, okay. which mushrooms are good, which mushrooms aren't good, which mushrooms are actually used for medicinal purposes. Oh, uh, cool. There was a class on tasting rum. There was a class on tasting whiskey. Because I, Voyager was this theme, that's why rum. Right, right, okay. right. And I like neither, so I did not take either of those classes. And drinking whiskey and rum at 10 in the morning really wasn't what I was hoping to oh, do with my day. yeah, that's a bit early. I took a class in Scottish dancing. So we did a kaling, yeah, and it was great fun. And I also took a class in fermentation. Hmm, wow. So interesting. 
Yeah, my partner Jim is all into fermentation these days. He's doing kimchi and kombucha, and he now he's doing his own sourdough starter, and that's been going for like eleven days. And yeah, yeah, he's just all into the natural yeast bacteria happening. Oh, in the world. <laughs> oh, she she went into why it's good for you. She she was yeah, a nutritionalist, yeah, probiotic stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's totally it's, into it too. Well, so yeah. and I didn't realize that. So I grew up with pickles that were in. Pickle juice was vinegar. That's yep. how you pickled pickles. But yep. when I, I think back to my great aunts down in North Carolina, who are mm-hmm. from Scottish descent because it's mm-hmm. Central North Carolina, and they were the McPhails and the Lucases and so forth, I remember those five-gallon buckets filled mm-hmm. with cucumbers and yeah. brine on them. So it was just salt. And yep. I can I can still see my – we called her Aunt Mamie. She was my Aunt Mamie. And she would pull up her sleeve – and put her arm all the way down in there and mix it up mm-hmm. so that you would keep the mold off of it. Now that I think about it, of course they pickled in nothing but salt. That's yeah. the way you do it. Yeah. And it's the same with making not just the kimchi, but also making sauerkraut or something mm-hmm. like that. And she, I tasted all of this stuff. We, she made like a beet and apple kraut and mm-hmm. uh, regular sauerkraut and a southwestern sauerkraut. But she also made ginger ale, which I didn't realize was mm-hmm. a fermented drink. Yeah. It was delicious. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. And I think, I want to say sarsaparilla is like that yes, too. It's, it it's is. a root, but it is a fermented root, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating. It was, it was very fascinating. Works. The classes were excellent. We also had a comedy group come in. So I was the guest. I, I did not stay in the hotel. I was the guest of Jeff Adamson who runs the comedy sports group up in the Quad Cities, just over in Rockville, Rock Island. I can't remember. It's Rock something. (laughs) But it's it's in the Quad Cities area, and so it's Comedy Mm -hmm. Sports Quad Cities, and he runs the theater there called Mm -hmm. The Establishment. And he also does another comedy group called Men in Ties, and it's a lot of the same performers, but Men in Ties go on the road rather than perform at the theater. And so Men in Ties has performed the last two Through the Stones conferences, and they were hysterical. They know... (laughs) They, they watched uh, Outlander so that they could get a good sense of the story and that they would understand. Right. We went to brunch that Saturday morning, and because it was Voyager, everything was done like a brothel. Oh, gosh. It was right. like the, the, the Kittle Hoosie, right? Yeah. So it yeah. was done like the Kittle Hoosie, and <laughs> our napkins were in the shape of penises. Oh. <laughs> it was hysterical. And so the the gentlemen come in from Men with Ties, and they thought that they were going to be giving a family-friendly show. (laughs) But when you have that many women in a room... (laughs) With napkin penises, then there's going to be some fun. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Much like comedy sports, they take suggestions from the audience. It's an improvisation group. My husband in Richmond is a comedy sports director here. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got a chance to stay with Jeff because my husband, Dave, knows Jeff. And I got a chance to stay in his lovely house. And I'm very, very, very grateful. When you do improv, you get suggestions from the audience. And one of the suggestions after they had sent somebody out who couldn't hear it was walking the wool. Oh, right. Okay. 
And so they were like, there's no way he's going to get this. There's no way he's going to get this. But because they had seen the show, they totally mimed peeing in the pot, (laughs) (laughs) shaving the wool, putting it in the pee. (laughs) And he picked it up. He knew exactly what it was. I was was totally thrilled with that. It made me very, very happy. Right. And so after that, we had our brunch. It was very bawdy. There was a burlesque show. Because again, really? okay. we're in the Kittlehoosie and, and it was it was kind of an interesting thing because like I said, Swarner people, the vast majority of them are women. But I'm sitting at the table where two of the women have brought their husbands. And right. the look on their faces as the women are watching women undress at a burlesque was priceless. Huh. Obviously some of the women up on the stage doing the burlesque striptease and, and nobody really got naked. It was just it was just it was very, very PG rated. Several of the women were, were quite beautiful and had beautiful bodies and you could just watch the men go, Am I supposed to be enjoying this? Am I gonna get in trouble? <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine how, yeah, how awkward that would be for them. It was very awkward for the men. The the women were like, yeah, yeah, take it off. But the men were like, I don't know what I should be doing here. If I were with other men, I'd know what to do. Maybe, but yeah, maybe that, maybe that's true. But there is something I was thinking about the other day, and I've had this conversation with someone in the past, and I can't remember, but the way in which men behave in Mm -hmm. strip clubs as opposed to how women behave in strip clubs that women get raucous whereas men are kind of quiet usually Um, and and so I I wonder how much of that has something to do with it too it might be some of that as well Mm -hmm. but it was definitely awkward because they're sitting next to their significant yes of course how many of them actually go with their partners too yeah you know and i can remember talking with i've got a a friend who is bisexual and she would go to strip clubs with other women to watch other women undress Mm -hmm. and she said it was a very liberating experience because the power issue is no Mm -hmm. longer there yeah. She felt very comfortable, you know, yelling and laughing and whatever. And the women who were taking their clothes off for the other women were really comfortable with it. Yeah. She said it was a very different experience than her watching men at a strip, which she had seen before as well. I had never seen a burlesque show. We have several burlesque groups here in Richmond, and I know several mm-hmm. of the performers there. I've just never seen one. And it was mm-hmm. it was fun. We had a good mm-hmm. time. Cool. Everybody dressed up on Saturday night. Not everybody, but a good portion of people dressed up on Saturday night. We were all allowed to do a little fashion parade in front of Terry right. Dressbox. She commented <laughs> on all of our costumes, which is very cool. Which you were going to take your costume, right? But then ended I, up not. And then did you feel really bad about having not done it? Or are you okay with... So here's what happened. I tried to lose enough weight to fit into my costume. <laughs> I got my 18th century costume made about 12 years ago, and it fit great then. (laughs) But 12 years is 12 years. Many calories later. (laughs) We all change over 12 years. Many calories later, it does not fit like it used to. And so I I went keto for a month, and it didn't work. However... Come on, ladies, you can hear me about this. You understand. However, yep. I do have a I do have a lot of clothes that are 1950s oriented and 1960s oh, oriented. So you could do Claire. In- I totally gotcha. did that. Oh, I good totally job. did that. I, I wore a 1950s style dress with a crinoline. I put mm-hmm. my hair up, I put some pearls on and some red lipstick, and I showed up. And Terry right. Dressbox saw my dress and she was just like, that is awesome. 
that's a great mm. look. And I was mm. just like, thank you, Miss, Miss Trespass. <laughs> you're an Emmy winning, you're an Emmy winning costumer. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. So I, I did dress up. And, you know, in the future, I probably won't wear the 18th century outfit, but there was, because there were so many there yes, and they were so yeah. beautiful. There was one woman who did almost an exact replica of one of Claire's dresses from France, the one that she meets Master Raymond in. The white one? With yeah, the, hat, so, the Christian Dior knock, yes, uh, you know, yes. hybrid and, thing. Mm-hmm. So she's a costumer up in Milwaukee. And. Mm-hmm. She's costumed for some of the best, and she made this costume, and it was just stunning, all Mm. in silk, all amazing. There was another woman who had five costumes. She brought them with her, and they were Mm. like exact replicas of everything from the wedding dress to – and she did all of the embroidery herself. Wow. Yeah, it was stunning stuff. And yeah. I'll, I've taken pictures of her. She was just amazing. If you remember one of the dresses that Claire wore, the yellow with the brown that she wore at Versailles in yep. Dragonfly and Amber, the one yep. where she meets Blackjack Randall, she wore that dress. And it was so wide, she couldn't get up and down the stairs. Oh, gosh. And she was wearing, she was wearing that much underneath. It was Stunning stuff. Wow. Just some of the hand handiwork that was put into some of these, and some of the creativity was just stunning. It mm. it's those are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth yep. of costumes that she brought. Wigs, wow. everything, beautifully, beautifully done. The dedication or the insanity because <laughs> I I can't sew a lick. There's there's probably a fine line at some point. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, I was stunned with, with the amount of work folks did. And some of the vendors there were selling costumes that you could purchase if you wish. They would fit you right there. And they were selling them for a decent price, I felt. There were some beautiful stomachers and things like that, gloves. And the whole outfit, you could buy it right there if you wanted to dress mm-hmm. up. It was wise wow. for them to sell it. It's beautiful. Wow. Let me get to the interview then. Terry and Ron did an interview with the whole group of 400. And I missed mm-hmm. a good portion of that. And there's a reason for that. It was There was a mix-up. Terry and Ron didn't realize they were supposed to be at our press conference when it was supposed to be there. Uh, they had the wrong schedule. And so I had to miss some of it so that I could go get dressed up in my 1950s clothes. <laughs> what they did, and rightly so, they asked Terry, who had been at this conference before mm-hmm. and had fallen mm-hmm. in love with the conference and mm-hmm. wanted Ron to come to the conference, they asked her to interview Ron. Oh, wow. Okay. So what happens is she cuts through all of the questions of, why did you do this then? And what made you want to do this? She cut through all those questions because those questions have been asked of Ron a million times. Yeah. So she asked him things that he hadn't been asked before or that she thought they would, information that they didn't know that they should know. Right. And since she's Mm -hmm. been, she's the one who convinced Ron to do Outlander. She did, yeah. Yeah, she is, she's been in love with the books forever. So she mm-hmm. knew kind of what the fans were going to want to hear from him. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a wonderful interview. It was a wonderful way of hearing from that point of view exactly, you know, kind of where he was coming from on some of this. But after everybody filed out, the press folks got a chance to sit with him and with Terry for mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Right. It was a and tremendous And you were one of those gift. people. And I was one. And there was only six of us. Oh, my gosh. So six of us were asking him questions and asking her questions for 45 minutes. Wow. It was astounding. And I, I you know, I, it's the only reason that I actually went to this thing. Mm. 
And it was, it turned out to be the exact right reason to go. Based upon a lot of the questions that we've been coming across as we're doing the podcast, I asked Ron, based upon his own personal beliefs, and from one of his interviews, he has said that he's a recovering Catholic and mm-hmm. and pretty much an agnostic. Mm-hmm. And so based upon his beliefs, I've noticed that he picks a lot of stories that have strong theological content, like he produced Battlestar Galactica, the newest version of that, the one that was released, I think it was 2006 or so, mm-hmm. or 2005, I can't remember. Anyway, it was the 2000s. And it's got very strong theological content, lots of religious yeah. references. And he also, Outlander, which has got strong mm-hmm. theological content, and that's held up throughout the television series. And yep. his, his latest one on Electric Dreams, which I've at least watched the first one, and it, again, mm-hmm. has got strong theological content. It does, yeah. And so, you know, my question was, how does his particular belief system affect all of that? Mm-hmm. And his mm-hmm. answer was really kind of cool. He said that he's always been really interested in religion and faith mm-hmm. and how religion and faith affect our lives. Because there are lots of different beliefs in Outlander. There's lots of different beliefs in Battlestar Galactica. And mm-hmm. faith affects each character in the show differently. And so he likes to watch how that plays out in a character throughout the story. But it's more of an intellectual interest for him. He He's more mm. interested in seeing how that's going to work out for everybody. So kind of faith, theology, ethics as motiv- character motivation. Yeah, um, and, and how that yeah. interacts with somebody who might have different ethics, yeah. different beliefs, different religion. Yeah. Particularly the difference in, say, 20th century <laughs> faith and 18th century faith. Yeah. You know, so Claire being a nominal Catholic in the 20th century, going back Mm -hmm. to a time where people fought and died for their Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And the rabbit hole, going down into that rabbit hole is kind of how he said it, to see how it's all going to play out. Mm. Where I asked the same question of Terry Dressback and how she, because she's also a storyteller, right, with her costumes. I love what she said. She said, Ron is the creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. I am the reporter. Hmm. She said that she is endlessly curious about people and she's in particular curious about how fabric represents their life the fabric of a life Hmm. how to portray Hmm. that in a bunch of different dimensions and how to explore their humanity without Hmm. necessarily you can't explore that humanity without exploring theology and she gets that yeah, which I found yeah. to be really interesting, and so she she looked at my outfit because I was wearing the the 1950s outfit, and she's like, "So, mm-hmm. if you're a religious person, I have to I have to wonder to myself, would I dress you this way?" Mm. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, would you?" And, she, and she's like, "Yeah, but since you just told me that you are a feminist and you do feminist theology, I mm. would definitely say that you are dressed as a religious person with a certain twist, and I would say mm. that that twist is feminist theology." Mm. I was like, wow, Interesting. that's really astute. Wow, yeah. Yeah. That's so really um, cool. That just makes me think about a phrase that one of my friends was talking about. So she had read the series. And, you know, of course, when you read the series, it takes a bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> and so she was remarking that she had never read something for so long that the characters had become the fabric of her life, the wallpaper of her life. And so that takes on new meaning, considering comments by Terry. Huh, that's really interesting. Well, and the other thing that they they kind of said in the larger group is that Terry, much like me, has has never really been in fandom. 
Mm, I mean, I, I've yeah. always liked stories and have been excited about stories. I, I love Harry Potter. I love a lot of stories. I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. But I've, I've never really been a, a fan, as in fanatic, where that comes from. As fanatic. In involved in fandom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never really actually lived in fandom in that way. Mm. And she has never done that. And by the way, she spells her name T-E-R-R-Y like I do. Thank you, Terry <laughs> Dresbach, for spelling it the same way as me because I'm not alone. She married Ron. He ha- was in fandom. He was a huge Star Trek fan and ended up writing for mm. Next Generation and yeah. for, you know, things like Deep Space Nine. And he told her when she was first coming to any of the conferences that were out there and any of the mm-hmm. gatherings to embrace it. He's like, you know, it's mm-hmm. all coming from a place of love. Yeah. It's coming yeah. from a place of love. Just if they corner you on the elevator, just engage them. Yeah. That's all they want. They they want to know the background. They want to know what's going on, what makes it tick. And yeah. if they don't, they'll pull back and they won't. But... Generally, mm-hmm. they're at the convention to meet other people like themselves yeah, and to share in this experience and to know a little bit more about it and how it's made. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she said that she's kind of embraced that. And again, I've never really been a fan about something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was good to see that. Another, another cool thing about Terry, and I just want to say this, I'm so grateful to hear this. She doesn't sew. <laughs> really? <laughs> She designs costumes, wow. but she wow. doesn't. She doesn't sew. It's kind of like Paul McCartney doesn't read music. Yeah. Wow. I, Holy I, cow! I, I just the brilliance and the level of creativity and the level of aptitude to be able to do mm. something like that is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm impressed. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't. Didn't know that. So when when you and Emma were talking about mm-hmm. sexual violence and why they kind of scaled back a little bit on the sexual violence with Fergus, yeah, and why they scaled back or at least made Fergus look innocent. Let's put it that way. They yeah. they didn't complicate Fergus like he is that in the that book. That had never happened to him before. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and that they do the same thing for Jamie and Geneva. Mm-hmm. That in the book, mm-hmm. Jamie rapes Geneva, and you said mm-hmm. it rightly. I, I do believe that they both rape each other, and that they don't do that in the television show. Mm-hmm. And so I had an opportunity to ask Ron about that. I said, like, you know, I, I understand why you guys chose not to do that with Jamie, because mm-hmm. he's the hero, and complicating the hero like that would have turned off a lot of your viewers. I wanted to know why he did that with Fergus, and why, if he chose to not complicate Fergus and Jamie, why he chose to complicate Frank so much. Mm. Because mm. Frank in the book is By very... being clear about Frank being philanderer? Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes, yeah. because in the book, Frank is a serial adulterer, right? He goes from woman to woman to woman. Well... Yeah, the debate, I think the debate is still out there in the book as to whether or not he actually was. Claire certainly thought he was, but Claire is also wrong sometimes. Yeah. And so I I think Diana wrote him much more ambiguously, but Ron chose to depict Frank as definitely that he was having an affair. Well, so he's definitely having the affair. I mean, we know that. The question was whether or not the affair was based out of love or definitely falling in love with someone else yes or just shagging for the hell of it (laughs) yeah yeah or or hey this is a a new student yeah Yeah, i get to be with her but the question was you have more pathos with frank if you know that 
he has an opportunity for happiness and Claire is denying him that, right? It makes yeah. Claire into more yeah. of the bad guy. It complicates Claire and it complicates yeah. Frank. So Ron didn't quite answer my question, <laughs> but... Uh, I was wondering if he would, yeah. But I don't think he understood the question. Maybe I didn't explain it as well. But what he did say is that with Fergus, it was a time issue. Mm. He had to. He couldn't go into all the background of Fergus with a time issue. It was the same... As with the wolves in the first book. He right. wanted to show Diana when she gets thrown out of Wentworth Prison. When Claire, when she gets thrown, yeah, when, and gets attacked by the wolf, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's wolves. Yeah. There are several wolves. wolves. And yeah. so, and he, he, he said, we went from a whole lot of wolves to one wolf to we just don't have time for this. We've got this many episodes. We've got this much time per episode, and we don't have time for this. And so it was the same with Fergus. With Frank, Diana is very ambiguous, and there's yeah. not a lot of backstory about Frank. No, but Ron chose to fill that out a whole lot. He yep. sure yep. did, because he wanted people to have a little more foundation, and he yep. wanted to make Frank a little more like a real character. So he needed to bring us along and show why Claire actually goes back through the stones. Why mm-hmm. she chooses to stay and why she chooses to go back. I mean, it's it's not a completely loveless marriage in the book. No. And she doesn't turn him out of her bed in the book. No. They, they do continue to have a physical relationship. Mm-hmm. But it's just that he chooses to also have a physical relationship with a whole bunch of other people. And she does not. That we yeah. know of. I mean, that could mm-hmm. be a big reveal in the next book. Who knows? But... I don't I don't think it's going to be. I mean, I understand his motivation for for doing that with Frank. I, I, and we all know that Ron's a Frank fan anyway. Yes. Yeah, um, and, and and Terry even pointed that out. She goes, "Oh, he totally loves Frank." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can see most guys are actually going to probably feel some sympathy with Frank. <laughs> so yeah. so I get that. I I totally do. I do disagree though about Fergus. Yeah. I, I it, that back wouldn't have taken very much time. It could have been passing comment from Jamie to Claire. Yeah, well, you know, he was being used for other things in the brothel as well. You know, like, I mean, it just really wouldn't have taken any time at all. I, I, to... I agree. I think it could have been a passing comment easily. But mm-hmm. I just I just want to say I was so grateful that they actually engaged the subjects. You know, so, yeah. so many times when you mention theology or religion or spirituality, people freak their shit. And they don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't know what to say to you. And they're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, my God. We're going to get into an argument. You're going to try to convert me or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to thank them and and, and thank Debbie Ford for allowing Mm -hmm. us to come, A, and do this. And Mm -hmm. B, Mm -hmm. thank Ron and Terry for being so gracious and open and Mm -hmm. having this conversation and taking it seriously and having such respect for it I was so impressed with how personable Mm. they were and how they engaged the other fans that were there they had like this endless time where they just hugged people and talked to them and and took pictures with them they just they gave of their time and their energy and their love I, I was I was I was not expecting that I've been mm. around actors and I've been around directors and I've been around writers and producers because I've, I've been on sets. I'm an actor, mm-hmm. right? I do this mm-hmm. type of stuff. And I've mm-hmm. never seen 
okay, I, I take that back. There's been one set that I've seen that on, and that was the set mm-hmm. of Loving. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. the best set I've ever been on. Y'all, if you don't know, by the way, Terry is in Loving. If you haven't watched that oh, film, yeah. you really should. But it's a great yeah. film. But it's it better because It is a fantastic film, Terry's by the way, it. and very well written. <laughs> Jeff Nichols, from the top down, his direction mm. was so kind and mm-hmm. straightforward and to the point. Mm-hmm. And the production company, I think it's Rabbit Dog. And Sarah Green, she and I worked on New World together when I was I was in that one as well. You won't see me, they cut it mm-hmm. out. But mm-hmm. she was just fantastic. Everything on that set was fantastic. This was the same feeling. It was a feeling yeah. of love and appreciation and respect and no judgment. And I, I was mm-hmm. just totally bowled over by that if church could be like that or temple or synagogue or any type of service that kind of community is really what people are looking for and yeah. I, I was i was blown away hmm. really totally hmm. blown away that's great i am thinking though i, I not to i yeah I, that's great and should stand completely on its own but you talking about terry not being involved in fandom sort of until now or until this this she started with outlander correct me if i'm wrong but i think she has with her retirement has said that she was never going to do another book to tv adaptation again because of all the hassle (laughs) fandom brings with it so the dark side of fandom i guess is kind of what i'm what i'm thinking about yeah, I, I can see some of that. So she, she didn't mention that when she was there. At least I didn't hear that from her. Mm. What I heard from her is I convinced Ron to produce Outlander. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, he convinced me to come out of retirement to do all of the costumes. Because mm-hmm. she was already retired. And so she came out of retirement. Oh, reti- right. So she's going back to retirement. Yeah. yeah so she's, she's retiring now. She's like, I got to Scotland and it was so hard. Much like all the other work she's ever done, costuming is... yeah hard work she she said i i got there and then suddenly the cookies started coming in Mm. and the (laughs) meals started coming in and the notes and the letters and the pictures and fans from all over the world were sending her things and so that's amazing and she said so it became immediately a family and she knew that she had to not just work for her husband the producer but she also had to work for Every other woman like her who loved the story and who was looking to make sure that this was a true and honest adaptation, as true Mm -hmm. and honest as they could make it. And I I think that, you know, while we all have our our pet peeves about it, (laughs) you know, Fergus be damned and all the rest of it, they they have tried their best to make this as true and as honest as they can and still stay true to the fans and still mm. stay true to their budgets and their, mm-hmm. you know, and to Stars Network. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of balls in the air for stuff, something like this. Yeah, and a lot of competing interests as well. Absolutely. I, yeah, I, hats off to them. I think they've done such an amazing job. I agree. So. And I, I wouldn't trade this experience for anything. Oh, cool. I'm so glad you got the chance to do yes, this. Yes, that was I'm sorry you weren't there with me, but yeah, I know you were with me in maybe spirit. Next time. And, um, <laughs> and maybe next time you can go. That would be great. Yeah. As far as future things, there's a festival that's coming up in Texas at the end of March called the New Story Festival. And they've asked me to do a session on reading contemporary fiction as sacred text. So um, I won't be doing... 
necessarily specifically Outlander stuff, but we'll be talking about that as a means of enhancing our spirituality. So yeah, um, I'll post stuff about that coming up because there's an affiliate link as well. So I get money with people registering via that link. So that is fantastic. I'll definitely post that. But yeah, so I'm going to be speaking in Austin at that festival. Oh, and you'll love Austin. Yeah, Austin's great. So there'll be other things coming up. This is not the end. Yeah, don't forget to keep listening to Outlander Soul. Again, your generous contributions help us to keep on the air. So if you are interested and love what we do and find it meaningful, head over to our website, which is outlandersoul.com. And click on the support button, which is all the way up at the top on the right. And it'll give you a different, a whole bunch of different ways that you can show support for us. So we would love to have you as part of our, our donors and part of our supporters. Definitely. It'd be so great to continue to grow this community. We've got a few ideas for when it sort of starts to reach a slightly larger mass. And so, Yeah. yeah, we're It would be great to get there sooner rather than later. So yeah, let us know. Well, thanks for listening, guys. See you later. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We would really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the support us at outlandersoul.com. There are lots of ways to donate. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas because part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're really interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please send us your thoughts through our website, email, voice memos, or social media, and follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or via our website, www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. See you later. See ya.